Hi, I'm Rail Bricker, and I'll be one of your hosts for the Business Excellence Podcast. Hi, and I'm Lindsay Adams. I'm the co-host. And together, we're going to be talking about what makes up business excellence. And we believe that you can never be perfect. All you can be is excellent. And in our businesses and in our lives, we want to achieve excellence. And that's why this is the Business Excellence Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker. And with me again for another interview is Shil Shangavi from Perth, a speaker specialist, a speaking coach, a virtual reality speaker coach, someone who's also done a TEDx talk and is a TEDx coach. Welcome, Shil. Thank you very much, Rail. When I, when I got the message that you wanted to interview, interview me on your podcast, simply could not turn down this opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Shil. It's, uh, we've had a great journey together, growing and learning together the last couple of years, um, and it is a pleasure to have you here. So one of the things you've developed over time is one of your keynote talks that you do as a professional speaker is called Mob Justice. Now, I know that rela- the, the, the title firstly intrigued me because I went, what is it? Now, in the context of a podcast, we're not going to repeat a whole keynote speech. But I'm intrigued to know the story behind it, the backstory. You're, you're, you're growing up, you know, being born in Kenya, growing up there, and you'll move to Perth, and how this keynote came about and the impact that it's had on people. And, and we'll work through some of those questions. Sure. Mob justice was born out of a a traumatic and sad experience I had in Kenya. I was born in Kenya. I lived there for 16 years and I've experienced a lot of challenging times there. And you being from Africa, you would understand that Africa can be a difficult place to live. It's home. It's a wonderful place to, to be. However, it comes with its challenges. And The reason I wanted to create this talk is my experience in Kenya taught me a lot about gratitude. And gratitude is something I feel a lot of us in Australia, in a Western country, in a developed world, take for granted. We take simple things like access to water, uh, having the ability to catch an Uber or a taxi or buses and trains. I mean, ha- having the, the ability to go to the shops, to walk into town and go to the shops without a fear of being beaten up. It's something we take for granted here. And having experienced both sides of the world, this keynote, I chose to tell the story because I wanted people to snap out of their bubbles. And so what happened to me, uh, I was, I went to work with my dad who runs a business in, in what we call old town. And my dad was tied away in appointments for the morning and outside his office, I heard a lot of commotion. So I went out to have a look and see what was happening. And a couple of uh, three men had caught a fourth person, uh, all, all of them were locals and they were beating this guy up 
I mean, they were absolutely laying into him. They were punching him, kicking him. They used rocks to beat him. And they beat him so hard that you could see chunks of skin being torn off his face. It was horrible to watch. And I didn't know why they were doing this. So I asked them, I questioned them, and they told me he'd stolen something from us. He'd actually broken the mirror from the side of my dad's car. And the reason he'd done that is because he wanted to take it to what we in Kenya call a mechanic. And a mechanic is, it's essentially a pawnbroker. And they employ these street thugs to steal parts of imported cars. They then take these parts to the pawnbrokers who, who sell them to locals for an inflated price. This guy got caught. And so I, I tried to save him. I put myself in the middle of it. I pulled him away. And because I got involved in it, because I put myself in the middle of it all, the crowd beat me. And that's what you call mob justice, is when the crowd turns on you or when the crowd turns on somebody. And they beat me really badly. And... I managed to get away. I feel if I didn't get away, I'm convinced if I didn't get away, I would have died that day. And once, once I got away, they turned their attention back onto this, this guy and they beat him so badly well that I will never, I, it's impossible to forget the, the sounds and the look on his face and the tears from his eyes. And even he was pleading to me and he was, he, he was, he begged me. He was praying to God. It was such a traumatic, and it didn't go for very long. It must have gone for about 10 minutes. It wasn't long, but those 10 minutes felt like hours. It felt like hours. And I, I don't, when I look back on it, I, I, I don't know what got over me or I don't know why I went in to, I don't know why I put myself in the middle because I knew that if I did, there was a risk something would happen to me. I guess the human instinct inside me couldn't bear to see another man being beaten to within an inch of his life. And I, and I choose to tell this whole experience because when I look back on it, I realize this man, and by the way, once the, ho the whole thing was over uh, the police came they took him away and even the police beat this guy as they put him into the car even the police beat him so we're in our country in australia and i would imagine in most western communities when the police arrive it's a good thing they're there to yeah in kenya it's normally not a good thing when the police arrive because they'll bribe you or they'll beat you or they'll make life even worse for you and so they beat this guy and they took him away. I never saw him again. And when I look back on this moment, on this incident, he was stealing because he wanted to provide for his family. Can you imagine what it would be like in Australia if we had to resort to stealing the sidelights from cars or a loaf of bread to feed our families? Yeah, it, having grown up in Africa and having, you know, having been protected from 
the the truth of Africa for many years through the apartheid government and then being exposed to it, you know, from my university days much more when when we were traveling more freely and and then specifically after 1990 with the banning unbanning of the African National Congress and the effect of unma- dismantling of apartheid you know you got to really understand the the disparate views of an eye for an eye um, as an example you know and 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 how that impacted on a lot of people and how justice was taken for no particular reason but also you got to understand and and so it, it was brought home to me by a a friend that i spoke with at a conference who does a pro, who, who runs programs in south sudan okay so not also in africa and these are called ddr disarm uh, disengage and and rehabilitate okay and they're actually programs for boko haram terrorists who become terrorists because they get paid more by the terrorist organization then they could earn in a normal job and so that same motivation of stealing the sidelight of a car um is be- they become a terrorist because they can earn more money out of it or and to feed their family yeah so it, it's a weird environment and that's probably why i wanted an, a, our listeners to hear the explanation of your mob justice but also to start thinking about our own lives and how lucky we are in the western world I I talk about and look I'm guilty of this because I've now been here for for about 23 maybe 24 years I am used to the creature comforts we have here I'm how often have you ordered an Uber or a taxi and it doesn't arrive on time it's frustrating how often have you stood in a train station and the train isn't on time and you curse quietly and think it's going to affect my whole my whole day now or maybe if you've ordered a meal from Uber Eats and they mistakenly send you the wrong order or you go to the shops and they haven't got the brand of jeans or i don't know maybe you want to buy something but they don't have it you know where i fall into the category of being annoyed and frustrated by this stuff however i've I keep telling myself that these are insignificant issues. You know, these are we we live in a place that is for the most part very safe, very stable, very secure. We have access to food, to water, to technology. We have access to absolutely everything we could want. And yet there are so many people who still complain about what it's like to live in not just Perth but in Australia. Yeah, and so my my wife always jokes and calls them first world problems, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know this is this is why and and sometimes I feel ashamed and embarrassed of how I feel about these these things. I just just the other two weeks ago my wife and I got a meal from Uber Eats and they sent the wrong order and I was so angry because I was hungry. and i didn't get the food i ordered but then i look back on it and think you know what i had somebody not just send me food but deliver it to my door and it was hot it was warm food yeah absolutely it's um it, it it's 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 amazing but yet out of that out of that environment that african and and again both having grown up in different parts of africa 
out of that African environment, there are some amazingly inspiring stories that have come out that despite the environments that people have grown up in, they've achieved success either you know, in their own environment or in international environment. One of the other guests on the podcast, uh, Billy Salakani, you know, grew up, you know, sweeping floors and now has spoken in 59 countries, you know. So, you know, amazing success coming out of a, a personal resilience and a personal accepting of our background and then a way of overcoming it, but not forgetting our roots. Correct. And I feel... <sighs> people who haven't experienced it, people who haven't, and look, this is not a, a I'm, I'm not, this isn't a blame game or I'm, I'm not saying, uh, I'll start again. I, I think a lot of people are simply oblivious to the rest of the world. Yeah. Simply don't understand how the rest of the world operates. People, when I tell people I'm from Kenya, the first thing which comes to, well, two things come to mind. One, where is Kenya? We've got no idea. So then I tell them it's Africa. And the second thing is, oh, animals, wildlife. And I go, well, that's, no, no, no. When you watch a David Attenborough documentary, that's not what it is. That's a, part, that, that's a beautiful part of it. Don't get me wrong. It's amazing. However, the real Africa is... At the moment, the last six months, for, let, let, let's just say 2020 has been the year of the C word, which I don't want to talk about because we're all over it now. Yeah. No one's talking about how badly it's affected Africa. Yeah, well, you know, two things. Africa, 100%. I mean, and, and we get all these statistics and Africa doesn't look that bad. But the truth is we don't know if those numbers actually mean anything. And the impact and, and the fact that there are, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, TB as an example, that people are dying of TB in Africa and it's being put down to the C word and not TB. And so TB seems to be clearing up. But, you know, it, it, we don't know. I mean, there, it, it's a, a friend of mine put it recently to me. He said, we don't even know. And he was talking about an Australian context. He said, we see ourselves in Australia as 25 million people. Because what we forget is that within our time zone, there are 2.5 billion people. Yeah. 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 And they don't have the life that we have. My parents are still in Kenya. I have friends and family there. I have friends and family who have died in the last two or three months. Died. The numbers are frightening. The statistics are frightening. They have no control. And what's even more frightening now is the vaccine is out, right? The vaccines firstly being distributed to countries that can afford it. In saying that, I believe there were two cases in the UK of people who had it and they had a reaction to it, a bad one. And so that's a whole different conversation. But Af Africa is not a country. It's a whole continent which can't a lot of countries in africa can't afford the vaccine they can't afford it and so that poses a whole different issue and and my dad is telling me that in kenya if you don't go to work if you don't earn one dollar to buy the loaf of bread your family will die they won't eat and they'll die and so people have to go to work there is no isolation or restriction they have a curfew which starts at 7 p.m. 
to me, that doesn't make sense because viruses don't operate on a curfew. <laughs> they yeah. operate 24-7. However, yeah. the reason they've done that is because the Kenyan government provides no support to people. So if you have to go into quarantine, you pay for it. It's done off your own back. There's, there's, we have job keeper, job seeker. The government's done amazing things in Australia, even though it's been tougher, tougher on the East Coast, we've, we've contained it. There's no containment in Africa or in Kenya anyway. There's, there's no containment and it's spreading. It's yeah. spreading. We don't know about this. We don't talk. I watch the BBC news. I go to CNN news. They talk about America and the rest of the world. No one talks about Africa. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole concept of the vaccine in and of itself is really a Western concept of vaccination for a start. Correct. Um, and also, there are seven plus billion people in the world. How would you vaccinate seven billion people? Because the other thing that, that hasn't really been spoken about a lot is that this vaccine is only a 12-month vaccine. Yeah. You know, and so it, it's like a flu vaccine. You have the you, you have the flu vaccine every year if you're you know, susceptible to flu, you'd have the flu vaccine. Well, the, the, the COVID vaccines are going to be one-year efficiency. You know, and so it's not like chickenpox where you get it and you're immune for life or something like that. Correct. But so th this has been an interesting conversation because we started off with a, a fairly serious conversation about you know, what impacted your life you know, at the age of, you know, before you left Kenya, so, you know, what impacted your life so much that it changed your view of a lot of things. Yes. And we've spoken about, you know, the problems of Africa and other things like that. And as I always say, when you and I chat, we can keep talking. So let me ask you, based on the mob justice, based on how that shaped your life, what, is the, what are the two or three things you would say to people about you know, worrying less, dealing with life better, you know, what are the two or three life tips that would come out of, of Shill's experience of mob justice? The first thing is be grateful for what you have. Be grateful for what you have. Think about what you have, not what you don't have. Yep. So be, be grateful for that and, and always Put things into perspective. I know it's easier said than done, but really put things into perspective. If you're down to one piece of bread in the fridge, don't think it in the sense of, I don't have a loaf of bread. I have one slice of bread here to eat. So switch your mindset to think about stuff in a different perspective. Two, step out of your bubble and understand that there are bigger problems in the world. And respect and appreciate that we have a privileged life here. And I'm not saying all of us do, but for the most part, if you live in this part of the world, you live a pretty privileged life. I know we've got other issues here which we're dealing with, but for the most part, we have a privileged life here. If and where you can, give back give back to the community, give back to other parts of the world if you don't want to give back to our community over here. And one of the biggest things it's taught me is resilience, which is something I carry into everything I do now, is it's taught me how to be resilient. I had a, you know, that is one 
near-death experience that I've spoken about and I talk about in my keynote. I've had a few. I've had a lot of challenges in my life. And when I told my wife about this, she just, she, she, I, I cried, my wife cried, and she was stunned that I was able to come out of this. And I've, able, I've been able, the, the, the trauma I've experienced and the nightmares I had out of this for years were profound. What it taught me is to strengthen my mindset and how to be resilient to negativity and to negative thoughts. And so if you feel the negative thoughts, if you feel the negativity, it's very important to just con to concentrate and strengthen your mindset. Well, that's a fantastic summary, and I, and I love that. And, and I'd say in the years I've known you, you're one of the most focused people I know um, in terms of, of discipline and structure in your life. And, and that's taught me a lot about discipline, focus, structure, and resilience. So thank you, Shul. If people would like to find out more about your keynotes and potentially your Mob Justice keynote, but others that you do, or Shul Shangavi as a speaker coach, how would they get hold of you? You can get a hold of me via email, and my email is shil, S-H-I-L, at chatterbox, P-S. So that's chatterbox, and then the letters P for Peter, S for Sam, all one word, .com.au. My LinkedIn, Shil Shangavi, I'm quite active on my social platforms, or through the website, www.chatterboxps.com.au. Thank you, Shil. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you as a second guest, as a guest for the second time on the Business Excellence Podcast. This is Rail Bricker signing off for another episode of the Business Excellence Podcast. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Business Excellence Podcast.